as an industry we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. But there's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Dean Walsh, current 3D art lead at Blue Manchu. So join us as we explore his journey. So today I'm joined by Dean. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming aboard. Uh, my pleasure, my pleasure. More than happy to go over and discuss all things development. So anytime. Yeah, I mean, you've you've got some cool credits, and we're gonna we're gonna pick through all that shortly. But uh, I guess before we get to that, how how's the day been going? We're we're chatting kind of early mid evening. Yep, early mid evening. Busy day as always. Uh, yeah, a little bit light light Monday slowly. So okay. getting started with the Easy week. Easy way into week. So, yeah. Uh, Wish not, I could have that. Not overdoing it. We, because uh, half our team is overseas, or maybe less than half our team, uh, we kind of have a smaller team meetings on Mondays because it's their Sunday. Sunday still. <laughs> so we kind of have like a little quiet, slow get, get started on the week, start to do the other tasks, and then we get into it Tuesday, so... Okay, so those real, real heavier meetings tend the, to happen the bigger Tuesdays. Me- yeah, <laughs> so, when everyone's uh, had a moment to wake up and get into the rhythm. Exactly. Unfortunately for the Canadians, it means that we've all had a day to get ready and and on top of things, and they have to go into the deep end. So on the plus side, it gives them more of the week to act on everything well, that's discussed, right? Well, yeah, and in theory, each of us we kind of have a day to ourselves, but um, for the most part, I mean, it's a, it's a small mixes to the people who are over in Canada so it's our audio engineer and director and our art director so yep. yeah it, it means that everyone gets a little bit of time to themselves I think well that's alright um, yeah I mean it, it all, all looks a bit different I guess time zone wise is everyone I mean do you have like a sweet spot that you tend to work with yeah we, te- we tend to do mornings uh, for us because, our mornings okay yeah and their evenings um, just because I think we've got we've got a few we've got two dads on the Australian team at the moment so they've got kids and it's easier for us to coordinate mornings than it is for us to coordinate evenings (laughs) yeah that's fair so uh, well, it's it's. I guess it's interesting to kind of get a bit of insight. I think I've spoken to a few people over the journey who they're based overseas and they might have people from Australia. But when you've kind of got, I guess, the core or the majority based here, and then how do we yeah. adapt and flex with the other time zones? Different perspective. We've what I've def- done so far. We've definitely rotated it around. So during VB as well, during Void Bastards, when we were starting on that, or at pretty much for the entire development for that, we actually were split across three time zones. <laughs> so yeah, that, right, okay. that, that made it really tough because it was Australia, Canada, and uh, the UK. Yeah, which that that one is... Uh, ever, there's always going to be at least one person incredibly inconvenienced. <laughs> yeah, right. So, so the decision going forward was, okay, let's just cut the POMs out? Like, was oh, that... no, no, we'd, rota- we'd <laughs> no rotate it around. No, no, we'd rotate it around. Well, no, no offence, because none of us are English, at least. Uh, just some of us were working from there. So, uh, But yeah, it was, it was very much we'd rotate it around. So we might do like a couple of months where 
one one side of the equator is having a rough time and then we'd rotate it around for the next couple of months that's fair you do what you can do exactly and now everyone's been having to learn these lessons because they're all doing you know for the last two years the bulk of development's been remote so pioneers leading the charge you were look i mean we had three time zones and i've spoken to people who've been four and five time zones and it's just oh i i i don't imagine how it works i mean what they tend to do is actually silo off into like smaller groups and then kind of reconvene <laughs> yeah, at, at more convenient times so yeah there's no way you can get kind of when you've got that many people all all on at the same time well good luck to them i don't i don't envy them with that challenge in that particular respect but maybe we'll be chatting to people sometime in the future that are juggling those sorts of constraints we're not this is Dev Diary, a series where we talk to developers from throughout the industry. They share their stories, their experiences, and the journey that's led to this current point in our various guest careers. But Dean, before we get to your career and the, the cool things that you've done, obviously you highlighted Void Bastards there a moment ago, I'd like to rewind to a time before the game development career was what you actually found yourself immersed in and focus on those pre, pre-industry pre years. Do you recall some of the first games were maybe even the very first game was that you ever played uh yeah i mean in our family we didn't necessarily early on i think we had a nest that was left at our house by uh i think they were a japanese exchange student that stayed with my grandmother and they left a nest in our at our place when they went back uh accidentally or like a parting gift no it was like a parting gift from memory um, and I think we used to rent some games for that, but I think, I'm not sure. I think that was after, I think prior to that, we actually, it would have just been the Apple two, uh, yeah, which, right. which, and again, that was like a secondhand Apple two, which my mum had to do school newsletters at the time when we were growing yep. up. And so it was, it was me kind of as a very small child coloring in dinosaurs <laughs> on the paint app and yeah, okay. play, playing a game called Dark Castle 2 I think which was kind of like a incredibly punishing Prince of Persia style platformer um, which was pretty cool but yeah uh, yeah that was that was way way back in the day and when I was more or less <laughs> I would have been at like two two years old or something like that so it was uh struggling to get through the first levels of most of those things yeah, that's fair. I, I really like the idea that uh, your exchange student left the left the NES there as like this parting gift that's like, here, I'm going to change your life. Yeah. Take it was this. Well, it's tough because I don't think that we had that many games for it. I think we had Top Gun, uh, yep. which which was far too hard for my myself to play. And my brother, who's five years older than me, I think a lot of my the games that I played as a kid, that was all kind of exposure of having a five-year-old brother who was five years older and introducing you to games that were kind of going to be a little bit ahead of where I naturally would have been. But uh, I still remember both of us, we'd get our dad to help us finish, or we'd get our dad to help us refuel in Top Gun because you had to kind of do mid-air refueling. Yep. And that was too difficult for either of us to do. But my dad, who actually worked as a flight engineer, could do it. And so we assumed it was because he was a flight engineer. But in reality, it was probably more just the fact that he wasn't a child. And yeah, older, refined motor skills, all <laughs> yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. We were like, well, this is his actual job. And it's like, no, his, his job isn't 
like maybe re- that's how he does it when he really works <laughs> exactly so it, it was slightly different but uh yeah that was that was kind of the really early days uh what no that's had. awesome and so, how did your taste develop from there well, as you grew up and presumably got exp- i mean as, as you mentioned you know started on uh started earlier than the, the nes but yeah jumped in the nes and there's gonna be more to come so how did things develop from there well, we we didn't really we weren't really a console family. Uh, I think because that was always seen as like a dedicated game thing. That was not. Yep. That was not something that we were always kind of a, as kids like it was. It was always a big investment in Australia to get a console and stuff. Oh, like for that. sure. So we we always were incredibly fortunate to always have access to computers of some variety because that was seen as a kind of productive tool that you could use to better yourself as a person. So we yep. we had computers and pcs and macs and stuff like that as kids and uh but then we'd often get like game stuff gifted to us so even and we grew up in hong kong or i grew up in hong kong for when i was a really yeah, right. little kid and at that point like uh someone gave us a game boy when they first came out like that was when they first first came out uh there was this very wealthy i think it was the son of our armor so like the son of our landlord um, yeah okay right gave us a game boy for christmas and that was great there's a lot of because, external people trying to force games on you guys. yeah <laughs> and and that was one of those things where we kind of had a free pass to play games whenever we were traveling so whenever Makes that, sense. so yeah so my parents would let you play the game boy when you're on a plane and because we were going back and forth between hong kong and australia all the time that was a lot of our experience was like playing game boy <laughs> on planes so we did a lot of that and and even we did eventually get a sega uh that was yeah okay that was kind of our our console when we were little and uh we got lots of games at different markets and stuff in hong kong which some of them were legit games some of them were (laughs) not legit games same with our game boy games it was like we've all made mistakes at points well, you're ki- you're a kid. You don't really know anything. Better. You don't understand the consequence. Um, you think that it's completely reasonable that you can buy a Game Boy game which has ten Game Boys games in the one cartridge. Like that seems like something that would exist, surely. That's but... just great value. Why why wouldn't I buy exactly. that? Exactly. So, so yeah, we had lots of like weird little titles, which I, I think a lot of my friends back in Australia weren't necessarily exposed to, and and a lot of PC titles that we'd kind of pick up there and. And that, that was definitely the, the stuff that I was kind of started to get drawn to was when we finally got a CD-ROM for our computer and that opened up a whole new world of, a lot of possibilities CD there. games. And and yeah, we'd kind of go and select the handful that we wanted and, and bring them back and stuff. So yeah, things I like... guess you've, you've touched on a point there with the uh, we're kids and we didn't necessarily know better when it comes to getting some of the, the, the dodgy copies. I've realized that, yes, I was absolutely one of those kids that, you know, I got especially it was mostly the PS One. Got yeah, lots yeah. and lots of burnt PS One games. <laughs> Flea market, get a chip in the console, and all those sorts of things. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes and yes and no. There was someone that my uh, I don't know. It's the friend of a friend style thing. Yeah. That um, however this guy was sourcing them, he would basically then just send like lists and like this is everything yeah. I've got, and he would just and you know he'd be selling copies that sort of thing. And sure, okay, I was a dumb kid, and just yeah, great. That sounds awesome. It, I don't understand that there's a consequence to this and it's, you know, costing developers money, et cetera, et cetera. But my mum, who was actually doing the buying for me, should have. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So, mum, if you're listening... Well... That, you should have known the, better. At the same time, it's it's one of those things. It was... 
and I think talking, I have so many people I've spoken to who are like in America and stuff like that. And that when they talk about their childhoods of the first games that they played and stuff, and they'll be like, ah, oh, I had this console and I had all these titles and, and they were bloody expensive here. Like yeah, for, for those generations and stuff like that, we were looking at $120 for a single game. Um, and we're creeping back that way now. Obviously yeah, the, the value of the dollars changed a little bit, but slightly different now. But yeah. still, it is it was a huge, huge investment. So I think I, it's very rare that I know someone or met someone, and at the time it was like, at most kids would have like maybe two games a year they'd get. Like that was, that was kind yeah, was of what you're looking at. Yeah. So so it is funny. Like, and I think a lot of friends in Australia their experiences were very much like PC based and things like that yep. because they could get shareware and and those kinds of titles <laughs> uh, and start to get a little little bit of kind of uh, variety through those means as opposed to console. Um, Look, I thought I was a genius at one point, you know, burning and sharing copies of Age of Empires 2 until I realized that Nutrigrain was giving them away with every <laughs> box that you bought. So that was, you know, we've, we've, had our, we've had our ups and downs and bright moments and not so yeah. sharp moments. And that was, that was one of mine. <laughs> But um, yeah, I mean that's like that's a really fascinating start, and I guess these days, um, obviously you're you're busy in the development space as well. But where do you see your taste kind of aligning currently? What what's grabbing your interest? Um, it's... and is there a good chance that the game and company you like is going to be bought next week? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think uh, that's it's someone's already been claimed. Kind of hard to to find ones which aren't at this point. Um, yeah, I know. I I don't know. I think it's uh, my tastes have. I think always been fairly diverse with games. Like I've never really yep. been latched on to a certain thing. And I think definitely once I started uh, looking at development as a space, I started also playing games from an experimental standpoint of kind of what are different titles doing, like not necessarily playing the nines and the tens as they're rated or whatever, yep. but, but playing the interesting what stuff. Spoke to and, you. Yeah, and and also just playing stuff which I'd never seen. So I think definitely when I was younger and and in my teens and stuff like that, I almost went through kind of kind of like a a lot of people will go through film and they'll go through like highly related rated or regarded film and do like a bit of a self education in that space. The and top so, one hundred movies you have to watch, sort of. Thing. Yeah, yeah. I think I I definitely have always tried to do a bit of that where even if it's not necessarily to my taste, I'll, I'll give it a go. I'll try and dissect it and see what it does well. And there's a lot of games I've played where I'm like, they're not necessarily my types of games, but I definitely appreciate why they work or they've, they've got a really interesting mechanic or they're trying something very new. And back in the day, like a lot of those titles were, in my mind, the games that were getting reviewed as sixes or sevens and yeah, stuff right. like that. They were, they were the middle ground kind of things, which... I think the the rating scale is very skewed nowadays, but oh, they, for were, sure. they were so interesting because they were trying something different. And I think so much of that space has been filled with indie titles more recently where they are doing interesting, different things. So I think a lot, like, and also generally they're smaller games, so I can play way more indie games, get yeah, way see, more, see way more variety. Of ideas. Yeah. yeah, rather than invest, I can, for the same time, I could invest into like a 50-hour big epic or something like that i can play five different indie games all trying to do something different with different stories and ways of delivering narrative and 
that I get Look, more out of that. So you know, it is one of those tricky things that obviously use the words you know big and epic to describe a lot of those big AAA sort of mm. titles that we're seeing these days. But it's it's a very fine line between big, epic, and then suddenly bloated. And yeah. we're hearing more and more on the AAA side that those big open world titles start to get that tag. Like people are starting to realize that bigger and more expansive isn't necessarily better it's and about I, the quality it's about the as you suggest the ideas that you bring into the table as and not just how long can you play it for how much content is there yeah and I, I i definitely still love a lot of really big games but like i remember there was this i remember games getting docked review points because they were under 20 hours like that was yeah. that was a really big thing and it was just about combination of people kind of wanting to get their money's worth out of stuff and i think that's completely shifted in a very short period of time where you do see triple a titles which are 10 hours and it's like they're still it's like this is an amazing 10 hour experience it's like cool that's great i'm i'm down for that but also like my time and my availability changes like when i was a teenager i was very happy to spend 30 hours on an rpg I don't have that time anymore. <laughs> so Look, I think... There's, yeah, there's a yeah. little bit that's... Um, and you, you hired it really well with, you know, back in the day, people would be docked points if they weren't at least a minimum sort of length. And these days with... I think there's still a... From not just the, the you know press critic reviewing side, but also the consumer side, I think there's this insatiable appetite to devour and consume as many games as possible. Mm. So people are starting to realise that if they want to do that, then we I can't keep playing fifty hour plus games because it's just not going to be feasible for me to play the the dozens that are starting to stockpile here exactly. that I'm missing simply because of that. So and people I, are starting to make choices and they're starting to think more critically about these games. Well, well, I think people are also seeing that games is a very broad banner and and in the yeah. same way that with TV and film, like you don't just watch the one type of TV or film. You might you'll and same with books as well. Like you're not going to have the one genre or the one length that you stick to you'll often have a varied diet of media so it's the same with games like i think there's a lot of people who will play their maybe they're playing their mmo or something like that and then they'll play their six hour indies which come along every three months or whatever in parallel to that like i think um i think people just have a different way of uh, approaching these things now than i think traditionally we thought about it as and so, no, I, I really appreciate the variety which has kind of come about because of that. And I think also, like, having said that, like, it's different moments of my time. Like, I'll I'll play something on the couch on my Switch while I do watch something on Netflix. And guess what? That's great for strategy games. Like, yeah, playing something like Into the Breach, I, I love doing that kind of thing when I'm sitting on the couch. Perfect like, for that format, yeah. Yeah, and, and Slay the Spire was one which absolutely... I sunk way too many hours into and and also i think those two games that recently one of the reasons i spent so much time playing them on the switch was because i had a kid and playing strategy games when you've got a baby is kind of the easiest thing you can do because it doesn't matter you if get you get interrupted, interrupted. yep <laughs> it's such such a different different thing so all, all of yeah, those I mean- things factor in i think there was a point recently, well, recently, I guess almost a year ago now, with my, oh, more than a year ago, oh, time, um, when, <laughs> when, we had our, when we had our second kid and that was just around uh, shortly after Immortals Phoenix Rising came out. I thought, oh, this, oh, yeah. this would be great. No, no problem. And that you know, big open world sort of RPG there. And 
at that particular point in time, I was able to pop her in one of the the baby Bjorn like the the things yeah. that to your chest, and I'd walk around and like you know she she had a lot of uh, stomach issues that would cause her issues with her sleep, and so I just pop her on the chest and I'd just walk around and bounce, but I'd be able to keep playing. I thought this yep. is great. I'll be able to do this for months now. And then two weeks two two weeks later, she overcame the whole thing. Everything changed. Like okay. I need yep. to reassess how I do this games thing <laughs> when I've got a baby because it's not working for me right now. Yeah, no, I've got, I've got the benefit out. My um, my kid is uh, coming up to eighteen months now, but yeah, uh, right. yeah, just he always goes in the wrap and often for naps. I'll have him in the wrap on my chest still, even though he's bloody oh, giant, nice. giant now. But just sitting on an exercise ball and bouncing while while he sleeps, <laughs> I can still very nice. I can still play games, and I have uh, played some multiplayer Halo with with him on my chest, which is a real that's a good effort challenge because it's you actually I'm forced to keep my heart rate down. <laughs> yeah, true. You can't let the adrenaline and, take hold. Yeah, so so it's kind of this very uh, it's a it's it's pretty interesting. It's a challenge, but uh, you, you can work through it. I found so. There, there could be something in this. You know, yeah. Control, controlled by children. And well, well, we could be coming up with a feature here. There's, at the same this time. a really fascinating article. When I've uh, dropped out of matches because he's woken up, I, I, feel like, I feel like I should get extra points because of the handicap I'm playing with. But no one understands that. I still get yelled and, at. And so. extra points just for making the unselfish parental decision. <laughs> I totally need credits in the bank there too. Exactly. We've meandered for a little while. Let's yep. let's um, start talking about your pathway into the game scene. Yep. Would you identify there as being a game or even a collection of experiences that perhaps guided you towards actually a pursuit of games themselves? Um, not necessarily a title. I think um, I'd grown up and as a kid, my goal was I was going to be an actor. <laughs> Yep, uh, and that was that was from a very early age. I was very set on the fact that I was going to be an actor, and and I did everything around getting myself up to go to NIDA and do all that, and I was doing all Shakespeare and all this kind of stuff. Very nice. And uh, I worked on a film as a fight as a sword choreographer assistant. Yep. And on that film, I decided I didn't want to be around actors. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, in 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 that capacity, so I actually that decide- peek behind the curtain was yeah needed. Working with actors in on an actual film set on the Gold Coast, I was um, I kind of reassessed things, and I realized that I wanted to be. What really impressed me was the creative side of things. So being on the film set and seeing all the set builders, I wanted to be a set builder. I was like, I want to do yep. props. I want to build sets. I want to do puppetry, like prosthetics, whatever. I want to do the actual practical art side of it. So I went completely from there into just studying fine art. And I actually... Which I went, did notice you've got a cert in, yeah? Yeah, so I went and did like an art... Uh, went to an arts academy. And that was actually during like my final years of high school. I, I started doing distance education and did an arts academy course in parallel to that and so i did fine art photography illustration uh and i also did like short courses and sculpture so i did metal metal casting and all this kind of like practical construction work and i did all of that and while i was doing a lot of that stuff like i think midway through studying those things i realized that I could actually apply a lot of that same stuff to video games because I was really into games and I was following the industry very closely. 
at that time, but I wasn't looking at it as a career. And I was actually doing a little bit of like mod making and things like that for Unreal Tournament and things at the time. Yeah, okay. And so I kind of stood back from it all and saw that it was actually, there were more opportunities in games for me at that stage than I could see in film. And it seemed more flexible. It seemed like I had more places around the world I could work. Like it seemed like a better lifestyle. And my, I'd grown up with a, a grandfather who was an architect, and he'd been very, he'd been very uh, open about his history in his field because he kind of would often say, like to me, "Do you like architecture?" And I'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, I find it really interesting. Like that might be a career for me." which he'd then follow up with, don't do architecture. If you like architecture, don't do architecture. All and, right. And his sentiment was kind of, he'd been very lucky. He'd been there, right place, right time to do the work that he wanted to do. And from his perspective, he was like, if you get, if you try and get into the industry now, there's not going to be the same opportunities as they were when I started. And so with that in the back of my mind, with when I looked at games, I was kind of like, there seems like a lot of opportunities. Like this is a space which is opening up. Like, I like games, but I also see huge potential there, which isn't currently being tapped at all. Um, and I'd like to be a part of that. <laughs> no, that's awesome. So, so yeah, so I, I went really focused on arts and, and wanted to build that full fine art folio. I, I think I spoke to a couple of people about things. And I was also fortunate my brother, who was, who was older than me, had, had gone to graphic design school. So he'd been... He'd been going through all of that and kind of teaching me all of his software after hours and I was yeah, in right. high school. Yeah, right. A similar sort of path helping to guide. Yeah, and, and as a teenager in high school, you've got copious amounts of time compared to what you have as an adult. And so... Absolutely. So I was able to learn a lot of the software that he was learning and and he'd come home, show me something and I'd play around with it and I was doing kind of like fake band t-shirts and fake game covers and all this kind of stuff and photoshopping things and doing design work and and he, they also had 3d software so i was using that uh to the point where also the people that he was studying with they were calling up our house for me to give them tips on how to use the 3d software because i was oh, right kid i was using it like minecraft because it was just primitive 3d modeling but it was like i could take spheres and cubes and i could make whatever i wanted and animate stuff out of it and so i was able to do a lot of that kind of side of things yeah that that perk of having the time up your sleeve, like you said. Yeah, and so I, I was just kind of fiddling with the software, and there was no information about any of that stuff at the time. Like it was, it was bloody hard. You were self-taught. To, yeah, you actually had to read the text document slash PDF that was in the application directory, and that told you the keys to press, but nothing much else. So, uh, so yeah, it was it was hard to learn that stuff. But if you had time, you could could teach yourself a bit. So. So yeah, I was quite lucky with all of that, and um, and then I decided I looked at different colleges for it, like where I could actually study it, and so so ended up going from Brisbane down to Canberra to study at AIE. So yeah, and I mean, there's there's it's a fantastic spot, and um, lots of great people have been doing some awesome stuff at AIE over the journey. And how did the the jump from study into the actual industry? proper emerge i mean i've like there's a list of there's a list of credits here there's various studios like chrome that you've worked with how did the ball get rolling ultimately it's all well well and good to you know impress a few friends or friends of siblings and those sorts of things but to actually 
make that big jump that's actually into into the professional space is well it's far harder yeah especially it, especially at the time too because i know like if i use chrome as the example that's that's about 2007 so we're yep. we're talking about the period here where especially in australia gaming started to take a bit of a nosedive thanks to the glo- global financial crisis and all those sort of things now chrome chrome got through that mm. but there's a lot that didn't so the, it's a very fickle time yeah this is definitely on the cusp of that like i think there's people are still feeling pretty uh sure about themselves at this point um yep. like I, I definitely was just on the on the in just as things were on the out uh <laughs> and so yeah like i went down to study in 2004 and i was only 17 so i, I went down fairly young I, I had a very clear idea as to what i was doing uh and the reason i decided to go down to Canberra was out of all the places in Australia at the time and there weren't that many places actually teaching <laughs> teaching this kind of yeah, stuff right. and it was very um all the courses at that stage were incredibly technical like in terms of just process driven as opposed to I think courses now are very much about the craft more so and there's yeah. a lot more understanding as to how it all fits together whereas when I studied it was very much this is how you open up the software this is what a polygon is this is what <laughs> yeah right is. okay uh but yeah, I went down to Canberra because out of all the schools that were kind of doing stuff at the time, they seemed to be the only one which kind of had had a close working relationship with a studio uh, because they were in the same building as Microforte and they had a lot of kind of DNA connecting them with Microforte. Yeah, right. So that was my reason to go down there. And my second year of study uh, ended up having a work experience unit or like a student project with microforte so my actual first kind of industry experience was straight there as i was studying with with mf when they were doing the big world um kind of stuff and working on a game which never released called citizen zero um yeah okay so that was and citizen zero it was there was like a whole batch of games i think that were all uh actually getting published by microsoft i believe i'm i'm trying to think back to things but it was think games like psychonauts strangers yeah, okay. wrath citizen zero um there was yeah, a, a lot of those were very early you know xbox yeah in some cases exclusives or timed exclusives for the time exactly and and i think think there was five big five of these big fa- titles true fantasy live online was one of the other ones as well actually and they all got dropped by microsoft in like one single swoop they turned around and and dropped publishing for them and so games like 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 psychonauts got picked up by majesco which uh historically thank god that happened well and then all of a sudden psychonauts has found its way back to microsoft yeah exactly it is it's a it's a full circle there but uh yeah i think um a lot of those titles kind of got uh sent to die as they say where the publisher kind of bought them up cheap and didn't really do much promotion for them because they didn't think they'd do that well. Meanwhile, it was like Stranger's Wrath was one of the other ones, the Abe's Odyssey game yeah, or, or the Oddworld game. And yeah, so Citizen Zero um, was, was kind of still getting worked on by Microforte, but they had this, they did this little side uh, project that I was a part of, which was kind of just building a demo and it was its own kind of thing, but using the big world tech, which was great as a student back then in 2005 to have access to an engine because that just wasn't, oh, for sure. wasn't opens a thing. up a lot of possibilities yeah and so so i think that was kind of like a couple of months working on that 
and in retrospect it's hilarious because that was my first project as well working with farbs who i ended up working with on void bastards yeah everything came full circle in that respect yeah uh farbs who famously has done games like captain forever and also worked at 2k as well uh and just an amazing designer uh yeah they were they i first worked with them back then so (laughs) and didn't even realize it uh in, in no, I mean, how times. could you really, for the most part? Well, it but, was um, funny, funny because we'll when on. I ca- came back to Canberra, I was told by a bunch of people, while you're in Canberra, you should meet up with this person called Farbs. I think oh, you'd get along Canberra. really well with them, and I think you'd be able to make a really great game with them. And that, w- that was for years. And then when I eventually did end up working with Farbs, I was like, oh, I already have worked with you. So so it all went Very back nice. to all went back to that. But um, but yeah, they they actually offered me a position in Sydney when I finished study. So no, that that's was, fantastic. That was my my first kind of option, and I turned that down because I wanted to go back to Brisbane. So yeah, right. So ignoring that final part there, the, the, you know, the turning it down, the turning it down component of it, and I you know presume the logic was well, let's try and find something in a in an environment, a space that I know and love. Mm. Um, was it, I mean, you'd obviously mentioned, you know, there's acting and there's a, there's a whole bunch of other disciplines that you looked at over the journey. Once you actually got in there and you were doing it yourself, did you kind of immediately feel like, oh, this is the right fit? Like, it's taken me a while to get to this point, but this is it? Or was there still uh, some growing pains and taking a little while to um, adjust? You know, maybe some, uh, what's the what's the phrase I'm looking for? Imposter syndrome sort of thing? Like, this is uh, not me? I think that's always that's always been there for me. Um, I I've generally just had my head down. I was very focused on just getting to the next point. So I think like at that stage, I had a kind of roadmap in my mind. And and one of the reasons I turned down the um, microforte stuff in Sydney, which is now the wargaming offices, yeah, uh, was I was at that stage. I was like, well, my next step is I'm going to go to pandemic in brisbane yep, i right. had i had a really kind of clear idea i'm like i'm gonna go to Ooh. pandemic and then i'm gonna go do this and and it was very much like the only options at that stage was working at a at a big studio like yeah. or like a relatively what we would call now a bigger studio yeah and we didn't have that those shoots the indie scene no what it is now so it was always getting in and more or less in the australian scene working on licensed products and getting a bit of experience and and my plan was just to get kind of five years experience here and then go overseas like that was kind of i figured like three to five years experience would get me something that i could then on a folio like ship a ship one or two projects here and then go to america or go to north america because that's where or go to the uk because that's where there's games the hotspots were yeah yeah like i was like at that stage i think looking at big blue box like the studio did uh fable at the time and things like that that was what I was like, that would be a cool project to work on. <laughs> like, oh, that for seems sure. interesting. Uh, so everything definitely seemed like a bit of a stepping stone to get to that stuff. And and I'd get in and I'd get the work done, but I, you're always feeling like I I need to get better. I need to be better than I currently am to be able to do what I need to get done next. So um, I was I never felt like. <laughs> Uh, like ah, this is all working great. <laughs> no, that's that's not a bad thing. But I guess it can be one of those things where there's a little bit of shock to the system. Like, oh, hang on, I'm actually doing this, and yeah, I'm actually like this is the right fit. This this glove fits. 
Yeah, I th- and I think when when I guess probably got somewhat to that point, I was just too busy to even clock it. Because <laughs> uh, because yeah, I, I went up from from Canberra back to Brisbane, and so after I I spent maybe close to a year after graduating, I was doing architectural visualization. So and I was working on kind of urban planning projects up in Brisbane. Yep, which, which was a fascinating learning experience but uh, <laughs> uh you do what you got to do sometimes right exactly exactly and, and you're not necessarily working with the nicest of people but you you learn a lot from the experience um so yeah yeah i did that for kind of close to a year and that's that's when i then um after that i got my i guess my first proper full-time games job and that was at chrome yeah so obviously you mentioned that the plan was to go up and partner up with pandemic yeah. <laughs> it ended up being chrome yeah yeah and obviously i mean i'm trying i'm trying to recall the exact timeline in my mind pandemic wouldn't have been shut that wasn't 2007 was it no they they weren't shut it's then sh- not wasn't far away but yeah it, it was it was did far you try your luck in the end i i did try i um and i got up to brisbane and i was doing arcviz and learning a lot from that in terms of process and things and and I was going to local developer conferences and and the like and so I was meeting a lot of people in the industry and I actually like met a bunch of people from pandemic and I met a bunch of people from chrome this was when I wasn't working at either of them and we all went out and everyone talks and I heard all the projects that everyone's working on so I kind of knew every all the secret projects going on at all the different studios around Brisbane at the time uh but then also kind of forgot which ones were doing what and all this kind of stuff and I'm yeah, like okay, I, right. I know because because it, it was just information overload really um and yeah I applied and I'd gotten a call back that I was going to have an interview with Chrome completely unrelated to any of that stuff um went and had a chat i didn't even have an art test i i kind of went in not necessarily as a junior either because i'd already been working um yep. and already had some experience together so so that i was quite fortunate in that regard and i think it was like maybe it was like the week before i was going actually going to start at chrome uh i got a call from pandemic <laughs> uh where they they were kind of more or less wanting to progress me to the next stage of interviewing um, yeah right that's a tricky spot it's never a fun spot for for people to be in when they're being pulled in multiple directions like that yeah and so and i was very much like i'm like look i've already agreed to this other thing like i've I've got to see that through at least at this point um and it's not even a sure thing from this other studio as much as it would and i think it would have actually been a great uh learning experience still like e- even with the time left on pandemic's clock i think that would have been a really great team to learn from oh for sure because uh, i ended up working with quite a few people who were there at the time uh anyway which i guess is is how these things work anyway is we've all ended up working with one another since yeah then. i mean like I, I just think back on the the like the history of the show i'm like oh yeah okay pandemic there chrome there like there's, there's so much of that crossover i think dating all the way back to one of my very first episodes with like meg summers for example was yeah yeah you know, like in in, the, in that period and um 
the way she's kind of you know, the name just comes up in conversation sometimes during the show sometimes pre or post show and oh yeah okay meg was here and he and you know this is how yep. i crossed this person and all of a sudden going okay I, i've got one of those big web uh, web pin boards i'm going okay this person connects here it's really fascinating yeah it is it's i think the brisbane scene there was so much crossover and, and even with my melbourne and I, I think chrome as well i think a lot of people just forget how big chrome was at that time and it was such a yeah. different experience with chrome depending on the team you were on because i think at their maximum they were over 400 across australia 400 people yeah because um, they pulled in rat bag and those sorts of things over yeah the as well and so you had a lot of like and i had the i was really lucky that i was able to work with a lot of the interstate studios and knew quite a few people at the interstate studios so even when i first started there as well it was funny because out of my graduating year there were three of us who were really good friends and each of us ended up at each of the chrome studios within a 12 month yeah so i think i was the last one in there but we had i was in brisbane um we had one person in melbourne and another in adelaide at ratbag so we kind of we were all quite good friends and able to talk to each other as to what was going on from our own respective perspectives uh because i think that's the other thing when you've got a studio like that which is split into state everyone has their own kind of view of what's going on it's like oh well oh for sure they're doing this here and so it was it was quite a grounding experience to be able to all of us could gossip amongst our, ourselves as to <laughs> that side of things so i guess what's interesting is like you describe that as being a very grounding experience, but on the flip side, something that uh, can be sometimes a little hard for people to get grounded about is when they're working on gigantic IP like Star Wars. And you worked on The Force Unleashed and uh, Republic Heroes, Clone Wars, Republic, Republic Heroes in that time. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. So I think uh, when I went in for my interview, and that, that was one of those funny things because in the interview, they're like very cagey, like, uh, and actually the title, the team you'd be working with would actually be working on a Star Wars game. Meanwhile, I think maybe a month or two months prior where I'd been at this conference and stuff like that, I'd already known. So I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. The Force Unleashed. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. So uh, that was, I kind of went in knowing a little bit about that already and that they'd kind of been doing, I think when I joined that team, they'd done more or less pre-production so it was still fairly early in development um but it was yeah it was definitely one of those things where it's like oh wow like and the work that i'd been doing prior when i gave them notice they harassed me about how i was going to be doing barbie games and all this kind of stuff because i was at this incredibly toxic architectural visualization office where they're like oh you're doing games you're not going to get paid anything and and you're going to be doing licensed crap and i'm like okay whatever i'm out of here in a couple of weeks whatever leave, leave me be get away <laughs> and and i kind of wanted to say at that stage i'm like well actually i'm gonna go do a star wars game so it's not <laughs> it's not Just that the, bad the, the big middle finger and yeah um which and that's the thing even a bad star wars game is an is an interesting experience to to be oh, on. for sure um especially these days i'd imagine with that heightened involvement that we're seeing in the current space yeah like i think um it was a fascinating project and uh as as someone like i was given i think what blew me away as well was the amount of kind of creative input you got on something like that which at the time i didn't really anticipate and i think also like when i studied i 
I was thinking I was going to be a character artist or I was going to be doing something something else and I ended up as an environment artist and and I think uh that was one of those things where when I started doing it I was like oh no this is actually this is a very good fit for me because it straddles a lot of areas it straddles things like design which I had much more of an interest in than just purely art for art's sake so uh it was it was it was a great project to start to kind of get my feel for how things fit together on a on a big project and a a ps2 project as well which i think i actually i feel really fortunate that i got started or was able to have at least one ps2 title to my name before i went on because there was a lot of from a technical standpoint a lot of stuff that we dealt with back then which after that point you didn't have to problem solve yeah right and so i learned a lot of techniques which i'm still doing now which a lot of kind of you just don't get taught nowadays. <laughs> so, and not to that, mention, there's that appreciation that you can yeah. have as well for having to endure. Is probably not the you know the best word, no. but like work through some of those constraints back uh, from back then that aren't obstacles now. Yeah, like I think uh, I, just the fact that we worked with CRTs and stuff like that. Like that's yeah, that's neat. And I I really and yeah, memory constraints like. I still remember one of the areas I had to build was had they had to have I think it was like four rancors or something like that and the actual rancor model with its AI and all this kind of stuff was so giant it meant that for the actual level it could pretty much just be a flat plane <laughs> we had like no so memory then how do you make that interesting yeah so little things like that which like just you you're never gonna we since then you're never going to have those same restrictions or challenges um so it's been it was a really interesting one and i think you you learn a lot of problem solving techniques which are still valuable today so so from there you i mean the there's been the collapse we've seen a few big companies fall by the wayside in that time that you were at chrome the end of 2010 towards the end of 2010 there that was it yeah how how did uh your time at Chrome come to an end there. We've got you know some more contracting, some three D art teaching, which uh, which was like at the AIE, which was really really fascinating as well. And actually, we we come back to that component sometime yeah. after after Borderlands. But um, how did that time at Chrome actually come to an end? Uh, yeah, it, it you kind needing of, a change of pace or uh, I was the one of the last people there in terms of the. <laughs> when when they oh, right. when they fully closed so they had um they had rolling redundancies i guess uh is is probably the most descriptive way to put it where for quite a while there we'd have uh kind of every couple of, every 10 months or so they'd say split the studio into two rooms <laughs> oh. and, and at that stage we had two build there were like i think two to three buildings or whatever in Brisbane where they were split across and so you'd have some people would go to one room and you'd be looking around trying to trying to see who was in the same room as you and you'd be trying to assess whether you're safe yeah you're like well they're not gonna fire that person or that person does this on the engine they're too critical uh and so you had multiple rounds of that where it was like slowly working people away and so I think at the by the end of it i think there'd been three or four of those at least um and yeah and i'd kind of been on projects which 
either had funding or were critical or about to get funding throughout that stage. So, uh, and yeah, I'd, I'd worked on Clone Wars, which was uh, Republic Heroes, which famously, I think uh, the thing I most, the thing I like about that one most is it got the award of the worst game that everyone played that year, uh, which is which is quite that's, a... That's an award, all right. <laughs> uh, which is quite an achievement. Um, and so... Yeah, I think we did Clone Wars and then I worked on... I've got a list here because I, I needed to try and work out in my mind. Yeah, what, jog your memory. Yeah, I think it was one, two, three, four, five... Five or six cancelled projects that I was oh. a part of at that stage. And a lot of those were quite small. So there were only maybe like four months of development or pre-production and then, then funding fell through. But at the very end of it, we were actually working on a pitch which had had gotten a lot of positive feedback and was progressing uh and it was a it was a small team so rather than like a 100 person team or a 50 person team it was like the core team was like about five or seven people so it was quite similar to what we'd see now with indie yeah more indie yeah sort of scope yeah and uh it was it was a party game and it was a really good party game which was pitched by a friend of mine who had worked as a lighting artist on clone wars and is now at naughty dog uh oh nice and so boone was oh boone up, okay right yeah, yeah. <laughs> he'd come we haven't, with, we haven't had the pleasure of speaking yet no he, he's well, someone that i would love to have on the show at some point so but he'd done an amazing pitch uh, for this project and it was using like an existing IP and it was to do this party game that he designed and he did the art bible and all this kind of stuff and it was great and we were all working on it and it seemed like it was progressing and and it was actually the one point over the la- the prior couple of years where I was like you know what I'm actually feeling positive even with these redundancies going on I think we've got a core team here where even if like other things kept blowing up our core team would be funded and we'd be able to like at least see this project through. Yeah. Until suddenly you found yourself in the wrong room. Um, no, I, I no. was away on holidays. My first holidays in probably like four years or whatever it was at that stage. And I was in Hong Kong and I'd proposed to my now wife. And the next day I got Aww. a, I got a, email from my brother who who was also in the industry and was working at uh blue tongue in melbourne oh yeah yep and he sent me this email being like i saw what happened if you need any help let me know i've spoken to my boss and stuff like that and we'll see what we can do position wise see if there's anything available um but when you get back just send through your cv and blah blah (laughs) and i'm like and you're saying what (laughs) that's weird uh and yeah, I like did a quick Google and was like, ah, Chrome's actually closed now. Cool. And so, yeah, that, that was how I found out. So I, I didn't even get right. the, the final uh, Survivor-styled multi-room experience. Um, but well, that's it- a shame. <laughs> I don't well, know. Like, uh, I don't that know, that yeah, must you be such a very weird time for you in your life, though, that you know, essentially yeah. you've lost your job. But yeah. the day before will be, I'm sure, you know, to this day yep. still looked upon as one of the, the best days of, of yours and your, your partner's lives. 
Yeah. And that oh, momentum, I don't know, like that, that energy is maybe sucked out a little bit. Yeah, I think um, I think it's one of those things where, because then what happened was I was more or less told by the team that I was working with, they're like, actually, we're still good. <laughs> so I'd, I'd gotten these mixed messages where it was like, actually, no, when you come back, you still have a job because we're going to see through this milestone. So we still, I got back and I was still working for another two weeks or so because it seemed like we were going to progress and one of the other teams did progress the other team uh that was working on happy feet they continued oh yeah right even even after the closure they continued under the banner of um uh kennedy miller games or whatever it was at the time so there was kind of this precedent of like we can take projects which are still working and they might kind of exist in a different entity like they were going to yeah, the publisher themselves would more or less take on the team. Um, so it seemed like that was still an option, but that didn't end up being the case anyway because, um, yeah. <laughs> so so it still fell through. And oddly enough, that project actually, by all accounts, ended up going and being worked on by multiple other teams at studios all around the world who also got shut down. <laughs> So, so it's a little bit cursed. It's a cursed project. Um, I think I know that other, at least two other studios where people worked on it for a couple of months and then their studios closed. So, yeah. And it seems like such a good idea, apparently, but it's, it's it, it was just never it, be realised. Great and game. Everyone a- yeah, right. And it was and it was a really fun project because I was principal artist, so I was doing the main character models. I was doing the environments. We had uh, two people who went on to Naughty Dog working on it, one of the concept artists as well, Richard Lyons. Uh, yep. Yeah, it's, it had a pretty amazing team and uh, yeah, didn't go anywhere. So, what, a, what an interesting project. Yeah. So then yeah. when those two weeks are up, there's some contracting work that was going on. As I mentioned, some of the, some of the teaching that was going on was, was a lot of this... And all of this is before you then found yourself with 2K Australia working on Borderlands, the pre-sequel. What was that period like for you as you're, you're digesting all this stuff? Because it's, you know, it's a couple of years at that stage. Yeah. Um, was it, was it uh, just trying to find your feet, like just anything to keep me in this space? Or I, I think I'd been working so hard up to that point. Like I, Clone Wars, I actually, I was the lead on that. I was... Yeah. I was transitioned into the lead after the first after pre-production because our lead at the time left and and i i stepped in um and i think i was like 20 at the time <laughs> uh i was too, too young. I, sh- days, I, sh- yeah. I shouldn't have been a lead um i didn't have the experience at that point but it was kind of people just trying to make do with with what they had and yeah i was i was pretty exhausted and i think i only really uh recognize the level of burnout i'd hit at that point like recently <laughs> oh, okay right uh so i'd actually I'd, I'd been working really really hard for uh, those years and that was at that point and and like i said i'd i'd proposed and and in that time after chrome closed um my wife and i got married and it was also around the time that uh she was finishing up her double degree and like a finishing up her uni yes there's a lot going on so and it was very much this thing of like look i've just had all this stuff happen like i've i've also got a little bit of experience now like i've got some work experience so i was kind of like 
I'm happy to take a bit of a break and you've just graduated. This is time for you need to get your work experience. So I've been working really, really hard for the last couple of years. You can take the back seat for a little bit. Yeah, I was like, we can go down to, because my wife had work in Canberra. I was like, we'll go down to Canberra. I'll work it out. I can, I'll take the back seat for a little bit. I need a bit of a rest. Um, And I kind of went down there. In the back of my mind, I was like, 2Ks down there. That would be pretty great if that happened. But if not, I'd actually like to take a break and teach and do something different anyway. So it seemed like a good opportunity in that regard. And then it more or less worked out exactly like that. So I think, again, with that, uh, I was talking to one of my friends, one of the writers that I worked with, writer and designer that I'd worked with at Chrome. And they were at 2K. And they'd been talking to me before we went down of like, ah, you need to come down. We've got stuff at 2K. You'd be a really good fit. And I spoke to them and it was like a week before I was going down to find a place to live in Canberra. And I said, oh, I'm going to be down. Do you want to meet up for coffee? We can talk stuff. And they were like, ah, actually uh, 2K, just let go. (laughs) 12 12 people or something like that. So they'd just been through a redundancy round as well. So I think just before I went down to Canberra, I was like, well, they're not going to have any work anytime soon. That doesn't seem like a thing. Yeah, why would they? They've just cleared people out. Yeah, so I went down and and that's, yeah, set up and got my first experience doing some teaching which was which was pretty interesting so yeah well, what was that like for you and i guess we'll revisit this topic again after after the the 2k mm. period but yeah what was what was that like for you kind of sharing what you've learned at that point you've you've experienced ups and downs you've worked on big ip um you've seen failed projects or like canceled projects i should say mm. um yeah, failed what was that canceled. like being able to yeah yeah i guess i'm trying to be selective and respectful with my language there um what was that like being able to you know, share that with you know this this next generation of talent that I mean these days you know I, again that that period as I noted is I've just lost, my, lost 20, my notes there 2012 kind of 2012 yeah. period yeah so that's I mean the landscape has changed a lot at that point we've really seen the indie scene start to pop up we've seen the yeah. impact of the likes of uh, I guess thinking back to that period we're talking Limbo and Braid and all those sorts of games and the 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 scene here starting to you know, we're starting to see some of those green shoots start to pop up off the back of all these closures. Yeah, it, it really was uh, kind of starting to see what the Australian development landscape was going to be because I think there had been a bit of a quiet period there. There'd been a bit of mobile stuff popping up. But um, I think the idea of indie, and from my perspective, like, even though I liked indie at that time, it wasn't a lot of the indie titles weren't necessarily speaking to me in terms of the production values yeah. I wanted to be working on and things like that. They did tend to be smaller titles, um, but I definitely saw the potential there. And yeah, teaching was was a good time for me to kind of get a get a handle of some of those tools. Uh, so I I went in quite like there was new engines starting to be available at that stage um, and it was starting to transition the curriculum away from what had been kind of what I'd learnt on to what was available now like that we were doing Unity and things like that and Unreal 4 was on the horizon so it still hadn't been 
when I had first started teaching, it wasn't available for the students, but it definitely seemed like the next big thing that was going to make it a lot easier. So we had a lot of kind of new tools being introduced, a lot of new software and a lot of new pipelines and processes. And so it was a really good chance for me to upskill actually, because I think what a lot of people uh, forget or don't realize is when you're on a project, especially if it's a longer term project, you kind of stagnate or you lock in to what is at the start of that project. So if you're on a three-year project, a lot of your processes and things like that are often three years old. And then you have to take... Upskill again. A couple of months and upskill again. So so teaching for what was almost a year at that stage was actually a really good way for me to just kind of anything which was new that was around. I was like, I can do a bit of that. I can try this. I can learn this. I can do this. Yeah, there's a, there's uh, a teaching and learning component to this whole period for you. Yeah, and it was incredibly busy and and um, a lot of a lot of work as a going in newly to a teaching and and learning that entire process and working with students and I I really enjoyed the working with the student side of it. Um, I'd man after my own heart there. Yeah, like I, I actually and like in my mind I've got the ideal situation which is of course a smaller group of students <laughs> uh, and oh. no marking. That would be that would be all the all the good that's, things that's, and none that's of the my bad. Dream, right? Yeah. So it's like, ah, oh, if I could have like ten really enthusiastic students, not have to do any marking, everyone just fuel, would win. Just fuel that energy. Yeah. It'd be fantastic. That would that would be the ideal situation because I I. Who do I need to pay to make this happen? Yeah, like uh, <laughs> I can I can talk till the cows come home about what I do. So that was uh that was one of the things that I actually enjoyed and they all at least pretend to want to hear what you have to say, which is, is terrible for your, your kind of your ability to stop talking. Cause they, they keep asking questions, which is, is never a good thing. I'd, I'd come home. You can get very carried away with it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, but no, it was, it was really interesting and I, and I learned a lot and, uh, it was, I, I also at that stage and I was teaching with a, with another X 2k person. So, someone who i think uh i'm not sure his credits on bioshock i think yep. tony oakden was either a producer or a programmer role on it so yeah okay right um but they, they were teaching the uh programming side of things so i got to work really closely with them and and worked on a little side project while i was teaching so we did a augmented reality uh game which actually worked with a theater company so a theater troupe in canberra and it was like this interactive augmented reality game where you ran around and scanned qr codes and it was this post-apocalyptic oh, nice. setting in the national gallery sculpture garden of all uh, places which, yeah which now when you think about post-apocalyptic scanning qr codes it, it feels a little bit too close to home bit too close but, to um, home right yeah uh but that was that was really interesting that was something which like tony and i were able to work on so i th- think i started to kind of flex a bit of my game design brain and and other aspects which which i hadn't been doing prior so yeah it was it was really valuable in that regard and so there was you know uh, more or less two years uh, of teaching there and some of that contract work on the side and then other yep. projects as you've just mentioned you'd obviously spoken to 2k previously and realized that it wasn't there wasn't gonna be an opportunity there but you did find your way to 2k eventually and as we've mentioned worked on Borderlands the pre-sequel and some of the game's DLC. How did that opportunity emerge and was there much hesitancy from you given 
what you'd seen happen previously? Yeah, I think uh, I'd so I'd been teaching for for a bit prior, um, and that was that was good, and I was just kind of keeping an eye on things as they were developing, what was going on. Yeah, and despite knowing people at two K and probably like it would have been much easier if I'd have gone through <laughs> the friend connections and things like that. Um, yeah. I, th- I think it was like, and at that stage it was something like seek, like some online jobs oh, right, okay. portal. I got like an alert. The more of, generic one, as opposed to something that's more specific. Yeah. In, in Cretan, it wasn't Samir or anything like that. It was something else. And it was just listed as like 3d. Um, I, f- I think it was, I forget what the term is. Uh, in level architect or something like that is yeah, okay. what they referred to it as at 2k and yeah i saw this listing and i was like eh, why not and according quick- to your linkedin it says level architect yeah yeah so i think think that that seems uh, that was their terminologies at the time and yeah I, I put together a quick folio and cv as soon as i saw the listing and just sent something through uh not really thinking much of it and was just like oh I might as well send something through and and i think it was like that week I got contacted by them and uh, right. and it was like, oh, and in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, I, th- I think I know like two, three people there at the moment. So maybe they've put in a good word for me. I'm, I'm not sure. And they gave me an art test. Um, it was the first ever art test I'd ever done, <laughs> which at this stage was quite a few years into things. And uh, yeah, I did it over a weekend. I just did a really, really quick little art test for them and went in and had an interview after having done that and yeah it was really good and when i went in for the interview it was funny because i saw a couple of people i knew and i was like oh hey and they were surprised to see me they didn't even know that i'd kind of you replied (laughs) replied. (laughs) they didn't know i was in canberra at the time so uh yeah it was just quite fortunate and i kind of went in and and i had no idea what they were working on that was that was quite a surprise to me because i think the the art test concept that they sent to me which was all under nda was for uh the pre-sequel uh but it was concept art so i couldn't really it was a very vague hard to get a read environment concept art of something on a moon and i was like i have no idea it seems like a sci-fi thing cool yeah i mean is bioshocks next up the moon okay sure that's i i more or less thought that that might be the case so uh so yeah that was that was what i went in there thinking and uh but then through i think I think the concept was there and, and it didn't look very borderlandsy, but I think on their, um, on the art test thing, they, there was something about inking and on their textures. And so I kind of put two and two together and thought there might be something borderlands related with it at the time. So but, just got that vibe. That's, that's really good. And I guess yeah. it worked out and would have been, I'm sure really satisfying as well, that despite the fact that you knew people there, the fact that, they were not aware of that at the time and you you got to go through that process and and win the job on your own merit i mean i mean i think it's still an important thing yeah somewhat i mean i still have the privilege of having the prior credits that i'd had and and things like that and they probably had as they had gone in at that point they probably would have gone in and gotten references from anyone anyway so but yeah it definitely it it felt like it hadn't been kind of thrown into my lap at that stage which was which was nice but it was yeah it was good to go through i guess a little bit more of a uh process for it and and it still was quite quick like they 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 didn't uh faff about and let me linger and and think about things to the point where i had to kind of leave leave my teaching 
a little bit shorter notice than I would have liked to. So yeah, okay, right. Um, which happened <laughs> happened both times I was teaching, unfortunately. So okay, we'll we'll make sure to follow that yeah. one up when we when we get to the return to AIT there. But yeah. what was that like for you to be? As you mentioned, you you had a little inkling that it might have been something Borderlands related when you were going through the the mm. art test there, but. What was it then like to be working on a, a game that at that point in time was a follow-up to... I mean, Borderlands 2 was, and you could maybe still argue is, enormous. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that was unbelievably successful, beloved. I, personally, I think that was my... If I remember my years right, I think that was my favourite game of that particular year. Yeah. Um, I know that's just my experience, but <laughs> you know, one of many from, from, if you believe the internet, yeah. and it's it's a follow-up to that but it's got this it's it's a hard pivot in a, in a number of ways in others that still remain quite true mm. to the franchise um but you know and then there's this inject like that aussie flavor injected into it as well what was it like for you coming into the role there and an established project with an established ip what was that like for you uh it's funny because it's a slightly similar experience to coming into Star Wars because you've got <laughs> you've got a really big uh, license, more more or less. Like even though it's a game license, it's still this idea that you've got a property which has a lot of expectations, a lot of expectations attached to it. Uh, it's got a kind of vocal fan base, and you kind of need to work within that. And uh, and it's it's interesting because I think as soon as you get started with it, and especially from an art side. It's all about reverse engineering or finding what makes it work, uh, and especially for something like that where it's a, where it's a franchise. You're going back through all the prior game data that they've used. You have access to all the engine stuff. You can see how they've done it. You're working with Gearbox as well. Like it's not it's not like we're on our own doing it. Uh, yeah. And and yeah, it's a it's a really interesting experience in that regard because I think I. I really enjoy the research side of it, of like starting on a project like that and working out what makes it tick. Um, I played the original Borderlands and I'd, I'd played Borderlands 2 uh, with Boone <laughs> actually a bit. Nice. Uh, in between. But um, and I'd never... I'd appreciate... The, and I think going back to like my earlier statements about different games and stuff, I'd never... They weren't necessarily like my favorite games, but I appreciated them for what they were quite a lot. Yeah. And so I'd, I'd played a substantial amount of both of them, um, and I and I could see why they were seen, like regarded in the way that they were. I, I liked what what made them so unique, um, and I think the the little bits that bounced me off a bit for the franchise were where I kind of felt like they w- felt a bit stretched out or felt repetitive and things like that. Yeah. So so I had my own kind of perspective on things, but I definitely appreciated them as these big, expansive games which were made by a relatively small team. Like, for what they are, and you look at the hours of gameplay out of them, they're big games. Yeah, it's an incredible thing. Um, yeah, so being a part of that was fantastic and, and seeing efficiencies that you can make on a project like that. And also... I think what what blew my mind was for what was a big title like that, again, the amount of creative freedom I got, the amount of choices that as just a level architect I was able to make on those games was really, really enjoyable from a creative standpoint. So, no, I, I had a great time on ProSQL and it was, it was a lot of work in a short amount of time. Uh, but the DLC I really liked, that was... 
I think because that was completely done by 2K Australia. Yeah. So that was... Uh, and there was so, some really, really cool DLC. Yeah. And, and so the Claptastic Voyage was also something where it was just like, it it really felt like our project. Um, and I think from my perspective as well, like I got to do a lot on that. So I got to do a lot of concepting in terms of high level kind of what are these actual areas going to be and stuff like that. And I think I ended up doing blockouts, paint overs and concepting for all of the last level, like the last half of that DLC. <laughs> so yeah. everything everything inside Claptrap's brain, I had some kind of uh, initial involvement in which from a creative standpoint was really cool uh so i really really like no, that that's that's fantastic it. and is yeah. it a i mean maybe it doesn't compare because you've ultimately worked on star wars previously but you're working on this yeah gigantic follow-up to a hugely popular title and then you've got someone like randy pitchford who <laughs> is wandering into your homeland australia and coming down to PAX and making an almighty scene and fuss about how big this game is and, and you know, it's made by Australians and they're riling up the, the Australian audience and that sort of like when that sort of thing's going on in the background and I, and I remember it I think, I think somewhere I've got a signed box from the, the steel book of, board, of the pre-sequel somewhere around here <laughs> like, and that was you know, me kind of pre, pre-media sort of days getting really caught up in the fever of the whole thing and again following up from one of the games that I I loved a few uh, a couple of years prior. What was that like when you're actually busy working this project and it's the like these big names that are coming out and yeah whipping up a bit of a frenzy about the whole thing is like is that intimidating? Uh, I think it was the complete, time? completely off my radar. I was yeah right so Just a bit of tunnel vision. Yeah, I think uh, on on that project we it was no time for it yeah you you were working with what you had and i was i was very focused on things and um i ended up doing some of the press tour so i think i went to sydney and we did like some of the media yeah media media junket stuff i ended up being a part of um for for some strange reason <laughs> so so i was doing that in sydney and stuff at the time but um yeah during during the main primary development for it i was uh head down and I don't think I was reading much online at all about it uh, or, or seeing anything. And I definitely didn't go to PAX that year. And <laughs> it was a, it yeah, was a, see, I was there was for that. One and that for me. was, that was a, um, that was a day. Yeah. So, and I think like that was when I was, we, when we finally wrapped it and we had, had stuff and we went and we did our press stuff in, in Sydney for it with reviewers and, and things that was a, uh, that was a relief to have it at that point. <laughs> so I think I was just, and it was, it was great. Like that was a really cool experience of being able to show off the game. And I think prior to that, like everything I'd worked on with star Wars and stuff like that, I'd, I'd been involved in some of the, some of the stuff going and talking to other publishers and things like that. But this was the first time I actually got to front up to media and they're always a lot more excited <laughs> and yeah, happy to discuss a, things, yeah. which is nice. Um, even if that was when, my name was misspelt, and that's why my uh, Twitter handle oh. is dead. Dead Walsh at the moment. Um, right. So, okay. But, that explains uh, that one. Yeah, that was that was from the Borderlands press era. Was when they called me dead. Unfortunately, <laughs> For, fortunately. Um, but um, yeah, the, and then the DLC was great. So, but we didn't get to do any cool stuff for that. Unfortunately. I, I'm thrilled that I've gotten the origin to the Twitter handle there. That's that's oh, a yeah. fantastic little bit of insight that I 
wasn't planning on asking about because I'm yeah. sure there would have been some sort of inside joke, but it runs yeah. deeper than that, and I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. It's, it was a, I think it was a hyper magazine interview. Oh, okay, right. They they just credited me as Dead Walsh, so like multiple times, or was it this one typo? No, it's, it's just just the on? one just the one typo. They just had it down as Dead Walsh, and yeah, it's it stuck. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, so post post 2k australia post borderlands pre-sequel and the dlc we've we've referenced a couple times there was the return to the ait and more teaching there we've now learned as well that there might have been another abrupt ending (laughs) but what do you bring with you having gone through this experience working on i mean again like i guess there's a big ips are big ips regardless of whether they're rooted in film or games or whatever but you've now gone through and worked on something that is big in the gaming space and they're you know, it's known for the way it plays as opposed to the an established law external to video games. Yeah. Um, Did that change, like the whole experience change much of the way you went about your teaching? Yeah, I mean, I mean from my perspective, 2K was a AAA studio. Um, so it, in that regard, it was a very different experience. Like it was, it was, Star Wars is big, but we were working on the release for the older generation at the time things like that it's just not as it's still not as front and center as even borderlands the pre-sequel so it was definitely a really big project and it was an fps um something which when i was a student i was told i'd never be able to work on in australia uh so little things like that like it it was fascinating i definitely had learned a lot more through that process i'd the team at 2k was great like I worked with and you got really, a bit of leadership really experience people. along the way too from what yeah. we were discussing before yeah so I was I was doing um, and at the end of 2k like I was they were more or less structuring the team where where I think we, when we were talking about what we we're going to be doing next like it looked like again I was going to be leading back to going into a leadership role on the environment side of things and and so yeah it, it had been great and a completely different variety of people different development approach uh and i'd learned a lot from that side of it and so yeah teaching again it's just a different different experience where i had something else to draw on which which was great like i think that that definitely helped a lot for the students at that stage no that's fantastic uh, i mean all these experiences help yeah and i was doing i think also when i went back into teaching at that point i'd made the choice as well where i was going to only do part-time yeah so okay. that i so that i had more time to work on my own projects uh because at that stage i was like all right 2k's closed but i think at that stage i'd seen that there was the potential to work as an indie and so i figured why not start to kind of build build a case for myself yeah yeah yeah, work teach students three days a week and then spend two days a week learning new software and new tools and and prototyping my own projects which i might take further so how did that abrupt end that we've discussed come well, about? Because obviously the next step is leading to basically our our current day. Yeah. Um, so how did that abrupt end play out? Well, I had had someone I worked with at 2K uh, messaged me and they were like, you should talk to this person I know. They used to work at 2K slash they started Irrational. <laughs> Uh, you should talk to them. They do their own indie projects now, and I think you'd be a really good fit for their new project. 
And so with that, I was introduced to John Che, who runs Blue Man Chew. And they had done a game at that point called Card Hunter. Yeah, and yeah, I know the one. Which was a very, very uh, cool kind of tactical D&D-inspired card game, card kind of dungeon crawler, which was free to play online and, and had kind of... Uh, and it was on had I guess released on Steam a little bit later but it was primarily a web client they'd done the pack circuits and stuff but more importantly or prior to all of that John co-founded Irrational so it's just that little studio that made little, some little known games like yeah Bioshock right yeah so it was this thing of like okay this this is interesting I, I'd seen Card Hunter and, and I'd like Card Hunter and I'd even played uh, card hunter and like their open access like when they were doing their early testing ages back so that was before i was at 2k so it seemed interesting i was like this is i'm i would like to hear more but also i'm not sure how i fit into this space i knew that they needed a 3d artist that was about it and so i spoke to john and part of speaking to john was also speaking to farbs who I then realized I'd worked with back at I know Mi- you. Micro Forte. The Spider-Man pointing me. Yeah, exactly. And so it, it was this real full circle moment of like, okay, I, I know of these people slash know these people. Pretty much the entire team was all X2K, X-Irrational. Uh, however, I'd worked with none of them during my time at 2K because yeah, they'd, okay. all, they'd all left prior. So they were all... More or less after the Bioshock era as opposed to yeah, the Borderlands yeah, era. I think uh, John left um, shortly after Bioshock and I think um, Farbs left um, later after that. Farbs was still around for XCOM era. Um, yeah. But John John was there for some of that as well, I think. so. Um, but yeah, so it was, a, it was this new kind of opportunity of a new indie space and I was kind of teaching part-time and doing my own little projects and and I think just talking to the team and seeing the idea that they had which was in a very early stage for Void Bastards they had like it was grey box block out more or less for all done in unity of just yeah it had like three ships and you could go in and it had very little connective tissue but at least it kind of demonstrated there was the a loop. concept there there was an idea there was a concept and there was a base loop in the game and it was bloody hard like it was shockingly hard what they'd built at that stage that demo that they sent through to me uh but it was it all sounded really cool and so at that stage i was like all right everyone else was kind of working on it part-time because they were still doing a lot of card hunter work so was a really good fit where I, to start with for that project and I think it was probably like the first six months I was working on it part-time everyone else was working on it part-time so I was teaching and then the other two days I was doing Void Bastards yeah okay and and then it just got to that point where we were in development and it's like we need to need you full-time time now yeah <laughs> we, we need to be doing this full-time now and so again it kind of uh with my teaching I was like all right this is gonna have to this is one's gonna have to wrap up now uh and it was before the year it ended Um, most of the main student projects were 
almost there. So it was kind of, I didn't feel like I was completely abandoning them. But, but this is the second time they've, you've done it to them. So they're probably yeah. not going to want you back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've, I've, Third uh, time, no, no, you've been for that again. Exactly. So, but also that last, uh, that last cohort of students that I had, uh, we ended up actually hiring. <laughs> oh, awesome. Um, so Irma. not only have you, but then you yeah. pillaged a whole bunch of them as well. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so one, one of the, one of the students ended up, uh, helping us ship Void Bastards. So Irma joined us, I think, maybe halfway through production and ended up doing all of the 3D models that I didn't do, Irma did. So it was oh, fantastic. incredibly helpful because having already taught Irma, I, I knew how Irma was going to work. So it was great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I guess putting the, the teaching hat on for, the, uh, for that component of it, it must have been a really validating, satisfying feeling as well to see someone who you've worked with you've helped build them up to an extent obviously there's a lot that the and it applies to not just game development though and any components of it but a lot of different walks of life like if you've been able to help guide and steer this person it's a really satisfying feeling when they can come out the other side and yeah i look i think contribute in such a way all, all the credit has to go to Irma. she's gonna she was gonna do it anyway uh <laughs> she she's a fantastic artist and i think uh as even when we were on production for Void Bastards at one point, uh, I think Farbs was talking to someone about the fact that the entire team, so our entire team in Canberra, has all worked at 2K or Irrational at one point in our careers. Uh, and a lot of us have not overlapped. We've all kind of stacked at different, different stages. Areas, yeah. uh, and so you can, you can tell a very you know, thorough history of the whole thing. It's just it's, that everyone's contributing their little well, bits to it. Exactly. We've had someone that was there at each each point throughout productions uh but as farbs pointed out i think or someone asked everyone except for irma however as farb said if 2k had still been around irma definitely would have <laughs> been working up. at 2k anyway so i think uh no uh, irma is is a great artist and no matter what opportunities came along she was always gonna be able to do some great work so no that's been, fantastic we've been very lucky and what was it about Void Bastards that really spoke to you? So you tried this very basic concept. It was excess, exceedingly hard, as you've highlighted. But what was it that really grabbed you and, I guess, tipped you over the edge? Like, okay, yeah. this is this is the sort of thing that I want to be a part of. Well, I think that was that was it. Like, I was, I'd been toying with a lot of modular procedural content in my own kind of ideas for projects and little prototypes. So I'd, I'd really seen a lot of potential in doing... Uh, modular design and systemic game uh, structures and so it's this weird perfect timing scenario where like one of my projects that I was working on was this completely systemic exploration game and I then (laughs) am talking to this team who are doing a completely systemic exploration survival game stars aligning And, and also it's designers who really know what they're doing and have done this thing before and an art director who is doing something completely different and unique and is a perfect fit to work with me and yeah it was just kind of stars aligning right time right place right people and I think like even when when I first started or when we were I was more or less interviewing the team I had quite a long chat with with Ben Lee the art director and I was kind of going over like my history and 
every project I've worked on has been non-photorealistic, stylized, heavily stylized, working with a design bible of some variety. And yeah, your so skill th- sets really and experiences have lent themselves towards what they were developing. Yeah, it was a very, uh, very good fit, and so uh, and we we got along well. And Ben has a background in two D animation, and I'd, I'd worked my first lead had been a two D animator, so I kind of understood a lot of the where where he was coming from, and and yeah, it was a really good fit, and the project sounded really cool, even though it was very early on in development the ideas were great like i really liked the idea of you're lost in space and and uh early on it was very much this idea of uh they always wanted the player to be hungry and all these design things where i was like yeah i can get on board with this this is something where it actually sounds like a really interesting game and as the game just developed and progressed it it grew into something so much more than what we'd originally <laughs> seen as well because then when when Kara Ellison the writer came on board uh she was just amazing with like how she and Ben were able to build out the universe uh, yeah right at inject the humor because there wasn't any early on when I was working on it it was very dry very uh very deliberately punishing. dry or just that it hadn't found itself yet I guess uh deliberately dry I think um the the intention was that it was going to be very hard sci-fi and like i think um the concept stuff that we've been looking at like it was a little bit more uh hard sci-fi white spaceships and things like that yeah, okay and, and you were going to be the one survive one pilot but you were getting uh kind of mutated each time you regenerated which might introduce new aspects to your character but it was kind of going to be a bit more cronenberg-esque yeah, right. Uh, I and then, yeah, as as we kind of developed further, and it got more pulpy and a bit more kind of 2000 AD, and Kara and Ben really kind of found that voice for it, and uh, and came up with the idea of the prison ship and all this kind of stuff, and and it was just a really good fit for the entire project, and we we I felt really fortunate, like shipping that title. That's the first game that I've shipped where what actually was done was everything that i would have been i was happy with yeah i I don't have regrets about that project of like oh i wish this was more like this or that like for for the most part it's just yep that's that's exactly what we wanted to put out there so yeah i I can't even imagine maybe it's simply because i'm looking at it you know there's that consumer lens and that's all i've been able to look at the game as but i cannot even imagine this drier (laughs) sort of tone for the game because you know, I think there's that that uh, connection between the visual, the audio, mm. the gameplay, the dialogue, it, all of it. You know, it's well. I, th- I mean, even that the, synergy uh, that really makes it work. So that, and I feel like if that one element was still present, that that dry tone, I I wonder how much it might have brought down potentially the rest, despite yeah, I, the the individual quality. You know, the sum of a part, its parts, and all that sort of. Uh, I think that's definitely what you discover and and what I think really blew me away with the team and and the way that John and and Farbs worked uh, early on with that project and and throughout it was very much uh, iterative design approach so it's constantly reassessing like never going in and going this is exactly what we're doing and even though we did outline what the game was going to be pretty closely like I think short a little while after i joined the team they had a really we had a really big design meeting where it was just a whiteboard session week 
and each day kind of like outlining what the game was going to be of like how many enemies and these weapons and all this kind of stuff and it was a very loose outline but working out like how would this work in terms of progression and time and it's very close to that like i think the mechanically that we outlined a lot of stuff very early on but the iterative play those early prototypes where it was really exhausting like you'd play it and you'd finish a ship and you'd just be like heart rate going and and even things like the star map when it wasn't fully implemented you didn't get that chance to reset your heart rate like it was just yeah all the unrelenting yeah all those parts when they do go together it helps you kind of get the right rhythm to the game and i I think you definitely see like if any of those things are off the experience is going to be not lesser for it yeah yeah it's not going to be enjoyable or it's not going to be rewarding uh in the ways that you want out of that type of game so yeah and and so i've heard stories over the journey of people who've said similar things to you in the sense that you know i get to the end and there's nothing that i'd really want to change or for the most part like Mm. i'm really really happy with how this has worked out and then for one reason or another when it's it's gone out into the market or you know it's it's landed in the hands of critics or what you know various kind of parties after the development is complete for some reason it's not quite resonated for whatever Mm. reason this was not one of those (laughs) i mean from the moment the game Mm. debuted it was you know I mean, maybe maybe I'm projecting too much of my own thing, but re- like really stuck stuck on my radar, and I would I would see little things popping up online. People, you know, void buses, void buses, void buses, and there was a there was a nice air of optimism leading into the release, and and it you know, struck a chord with people, and and then the games had, I mean, again, this is me just observing from the outside, but some legs with you know how it's been on Game Pass and those sorts of things as well that have have kept the game present post launch and how did that sit with you and the team as you all digested the the feedback and i guess even to this day how it still kind of resurfaces every now and then i think uh i think we we went into it and i definitely the approach at blue manchu is for the projects that that john does they're the projects that wouldn't normally be made so he's very into doing the stuff which when he was running a studio he wasn't allowed creatively to develop so the games are always going to be different they're always going to be quite niche and i think even with vb we went into it assuming that it was going to be a fairly niche title we we hoped that it wouldn't be we hoped that it would at least be able to kind of cover its expenses but i think that's as far as our hopes generally go for that kind of thing is not like great if it does does better than that or if it's received well uh, but but it is a niche game like it's not going like there's a lot of things in it where it's just counter to the way people play fps games and yeah. we knew that and a lot of our testing showed that we're trying to teach people that you don't actually have to kill everything is is one hell be of a quite task. jarring when when yeah. so many other games are pulling you in one direction you're trying uh, to go the other exactly and so it was doing a lot of different things and it had a lot of uh like unique ideas in how it put things together um and i think we we did it in a way that it was kind of people knew what to expect and i think the other thing with blue manchu and definitely with ben is ben's art direction is like you need to be unique you need to stand out and i think that did a lot for the game in terms of people it didn't 
fall into obscurity because it looked like something else. It definitely yep. looks like its own thing. So it's got the visual thing. It's got the humor thing. It's got the world, which is unique. It's got the gameplay, which is unique. And I think in the current indie climate, that's kind of the only thing that you can do to make a little bit of safety for yourself is to do something which is unique. <laughs> yeah. Because, because otherwise you have to do whatever it is the best and that's really and that's hard to really do hard. That's hard to do. <laughs> so so i think um if you can do unique and really good then then you've got a got a You're halfway there area. yeah so yeah and so i guess for you when you did see that reception married up with how you were feeling about the game at the time how did that sit with you good good because we i think uh void bastards as well just a small team uh, gave me a lot of new experiences of like I was able to go over and go to GDC and talk to publishers about it and talk to platforms about it like and I was able to hear back from people and, and I even got to do a GCAP talk uh, down in Melbourne at the last GCAP before pre-end pre of pre, world pre, pre-pandemic GCAP I got to go and so it was really interesting to actually hear from people about it and so um, yeah being able to get to the end point and get that kind of positive feedback from people and talk to people about what we did with it um, has been really rewarding um, I definitely appreciate it and it's like I've talked to a lot of devs since then as well like a lot of devs have kind of uh, contacted me to talk about art pipelines and stuff like that so it's kind of I think what I've also appreciated about it is uh, a lot of new connections where I've been able to kind of help other people and their projects who are kind of like oh how did you do this thing and it's like well let me tell you do you have an hour (laughs) (laughs) but i presume you know cycling back to some of the things we were talking about before there's that teaching component and there's that learning component as well i'm sure there's been some people that have really been able to share some fantastic insights for you that are yeah useful for whatever's next yeah I i think um yeah it definitely has been that back and forth like there's been some really really valuable discussions and, and i've learned so much from this team as well uh it's kind of just being able to work with people who have this much experience has has been really eye-opening and and kind of they've they've been able to put me in touch with other really experienced developers as well so even, even with void bastards when we were discussing it with platforms and things like that i think we i was kind of given some contacts of other people who were ex uh, irrational and they worked on yep. Bioshock in different capacities and uh, they were able to kind of give me a primer and I could ha- practice pitching the project and talk to them about development in general like I that that side of it was really useful as well so that's yeah. fantastic hmm. now I touched it very very briefly there and I think I know the answer to this so please promptly shut me down if you need to <laughs> is there anything that we can say at this point about whatever comes next um, and again, promptly shut me down. I am not looking uh, to get you in any sort of tricky, sticky situations uh, here. No, I, I mean, this is the the beauty and the flexibility of being with a small team where we kind of just do our own thing. Um, no, oh, but I'd hate we'd... to be. I'd hate to be responsible for ruining <laughs> the surprise, though. No, well, that, that's I, exactly... I want to enjoy that surprise too. That's exactly it. So I think all I'll say is we are working on a new game, <laughs> but it's it's. Um, Please be excited. It's a new game and uh, different. Like I think that's that's the main thing you can always take away from Blue Manchu is like the projects are going to be have a unique flair 
<laughs> no, so. that's fantastic here. That's that's all I need to hear, and I very much look forward to and, the, the the day and date when we learn about said title. Yeah, and it, it might not be too far off. So, which which is nice because I think, uh, yeah, it's it's a really fun project. Uh, again, like I think that's something where it says a lot. Where when you've got a project and you actually start to be like really interested in playing it yourself during development or seeing benefit or like seeing kind of aspects of it where you're like oh this is really enjoyable like that's a pretty unique space to be in i've found and uh it's pretty good that both blue man Shoe projects i've been able to find that pretty quickly so well now you've really pricked my interest in this uh <laughs> soonish sort of yeah. comment i won't oh. i won't then probe well, for a no. specific like how soon is soon because then <laughs> start, then i'm really no, I'm, exactly we're, we're but, moving right along but it, but it will will probably be the same thing with as with Void Bastards, where I think uh, we surprised a lot of people. Where I think we discussed it, or like we showed the trailer off, and then six months later the game was out. So uh, it's one of those things. We don't want to be telling people and showing people stuff, and then having them wait around for a couple yeah, of years, dangling so, the carrot for such a uh, long time. That, yeah, that's that, fair. That's not I respect how we that. do it. Yeah. So. So as we dance away from that, before I cause you to yeah any sort of problems and we wind things down is there anyone out there that you've worked with or you've looked at from afar that really inspires you in the way you kind of go about your work and we've spoken so many times about people that you've crossed over with over the journey so i'd imagine the those inspirations could be quite plentiful but is there mm. anyone that really sticks out that yeah you've either worked with or looked at from afar that really inspires you yeah look i i think no offense to anyone else of course <laughs> that we don't mention it's not meant no, to be no, I've, I've worked with, like, quite a few people and I've been really fortunate, like, early on. Uh, individuals who, even if we were working on other projects, we kind of had a lot of other stuff that we were working together with. So I had people, friends who are over at, like, uh, Ubisoft and things like that now. But, like, yep. Boone, Boone, we worked really closely with um, on that little side project. And, and Boone, myself had also worked with another artist with us um uh darren randall who was a phenomenal animator but also just artist and project lead who was doing a game called teen high zombie squad um which which unfortunately wasn't picked up back in the day but had some comic work done and, and james brower who was one of the concept artists on that so those were the kind of like a lot of the people who i worked with back in the day who i have a really still have a close kind of respect for and talk with them on a regular basis but uh no, i think that's awesome from a very specific kind of game development standpoint more recently the team at blue manchu really kind of have been an education as well as just a a, a really uh valuable uh team to be a part of so I, I definitely respect all of all of their experience but i guess outside of that I mean, my my original plan was I was going to go work at Pandemic and then go work over at um, Double Fine <laughs> in yeah. uh, in San Francisco. So I think the people from afar, like I've I've always liked what what the Double Fine team were doing, and and there's a lot of teams around the world that you kind of look at and you're like, I'd I'd love to do a project with them just to learn, <laughs> and then yeah, if then, then else. maybe go off and do something else. But um, but yeah, there's uh, I don't know, I definitely. I really like the idea. Different teams gel more with me than individuals. I think now. No, that makes a lot of sense. My takeaway, so because um, I've, I mean, the development process is such a collaborative one in the first place that yeah, it, it 
rarely, I won't, I won't say never, but rarely is it all one person. Yeah, and I think that's kind of winding it back some of those projects that I've been on, which I've worked with amazing people. It's been amazing people on a team which can be filled with amazing people, but it's not an amazing team or it's not an amazing project. So I think there's so many other kind of factors in there which can kind of yep. inhibit that experience. So, yeah. And a couple of fun ones as we wrap things up. If you could be credited for any game ever, just retroactively add your name into the credits, claim some degree of responsibility. It can even be special thanks. What game would you pick? Uh, it would have to be Yoda Stories. Uh, the desktop adventures Yoda stories title. Yeah, which, right. Uh, I'd be very happy with a special thanks on that game. Just fair to I say, no one's mentioned that one before. Though. I constantly bring it up as uh, I guess a bit of a joke with people, but also as a fairly serious comment because it's a it's a very weird title which no one's played. So um, it's yeah, I'm going to have pre- to do a bit of research after this. I think it's just a randomized roguelike version of Zelda, but with Star Wars characters, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, cool. Which yeah, it looked and one hundred percent not official, right? No, one hundred percent official. It came. Oh. It came in the. Uh, it was part of the desktop adventures series. It was Indiana Jones desktop adventures and Yoda stories. Oh, okay, adventures. right. And right now, it, now follow the era we're talking about. Yeah, it came bundled with like a LucasArts uh, all in one, which had X Wing versus Tie Fighter and and one of the Jedi Knights and stuff like that. But it was interesting. It was it was unique and it was terrible in its own way, and clunky because you had to use a mouse. And you would just love to be a part of it. Ah, I'd love to have a special thanks on it just because it would make my games credits that much more interesting. (laughs) Uh, And if you could go back and replay any game, just strike it from your memory and get to play a game from scratch. Um, Relive everything about it. What game would you pick? Well, I mean, it would have to be something narrative heavy because that's the main benefit to forgetting because a lot of the well, systems ga- games and stuff like that you can, I can still get joy out of. I I think probably like Grim Fandango in that regard. Um, yep. I think that, that definitely kind of, that definitely made me think about games in a slightly different way when I played it. Um, and I played it quite a few years after it had come out. So um, that, that would be a good one where I'd love to sit down and go in not, not knowing what to expect, I guess. No, another fantastic choice. Well, dead. I mean, Dean. Uh, that's where. Sorry, uh, that's the <laughs> horrible, horrible attempt at a joke there. But we'll lean into yeah. it a tiny bit. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. This is. Uh, I mean, we've we've been putting this together kind of mid. Well, we said early to mid evening before. It is now starting to blow right out. But thank you very, very much for for sharing this journey so far. Everything that's uh, that it's entailed so far and. I think, well, speaking for myself, but I think also the the many people listening, I think we're all very excited to see what's to come, not just from the the new project, which is apparently going to be announced, what, tomorrow at this point? But um, <laughs> again, um, don't worry, we'll, we'll not be committing to anything there. That's fine. Yep. Um, but, you know, whatever comes even beyond that, you, you've been doing some incredible work um, and I'm sure that's going to continue well into the future. So thank you very much for for sharing this journey so far and if people want to see what you're up to we've already spoken a little bit about that twitter handle but where could people go to see what you're up to and learn more about you maybe reach out as well um well i guess the main main connections for me uh, voidbastards.com for anything related to actually the void bastards stuff uh but for my personal things 
Dean underscore Walsh, W-A-L-S-H-E is my Twitter. Uh, and then on there is links to my website and stuff like that as well for, for any other little things. I think I've got some old projects and stuff on there. So. Yeah, it was uh, really fantastic to kind of pour through that and see some of the cool ideas you've been working on in yeah. and around the things that we've discussed today. So that, that yeah, it's, it's really, really interesting. So please make sure to go check that out as well. But as I said, Dean, thanks very much for coming on the show. No worries. Thank you. Um, it was it was awesome to have a chat and I really appreciate the time you've given me no worries and listeners as always thank you very much for listening I'll see you next time That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share it with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until the next episode, however, that's been Dean's Story. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.